Yo, Philosophy Friday, everybody. Welcome. <laughs> a topic that has been on my mind for a while now and which came up speaking with other game company CEOs at GDC. So I was at GDC earlier this week. has been this question around competitive dynamics of the current workplace right now. It's very, very hard to not only hire folks, but to retain employees. And that's going to be the focus of our discussion today is really around how do you retain employees? And I would say that, you know, there are, well, we, we can kind of get into it. I think some of the issues that we'll talk about are, you know, how much do you invest in employees only to have them potentially poached by other companies? Secondly, how do you actually retain employees through other means besides just having a wage escalation war? And what should, for example, the attitude of employees or employers be regarding the loss of employees for new opportunities. And again, this is, I would say at GDC in terms of like the topics of discussion, probably like hiring was number one. And then this was like the second most discussed topic, but how are you doing, Brett? How's life going? And how is your GDC? Life's great, man. Spring is here <laughs> and GDC is here and people are here for GDC, which is amazing. Yeah. I saw people in person, which was so awesome. It was a reminder of how wonderful the gaming industry is. There's just so many nice people in gaming. I, I don't, I don't know how we got so blessed with just like a great community, but we are. And I had a great GDC, and I am. We're cranking here, at Liquid and Great. We just released a new tracker tool, which which shows live ops calendars of the top 170 grossing apps in casual core and casino. And, and then we're building our, uh, out our next thing. So a lot of good nice. stuff. Is that on. tracker app public? Maybe we can, I can put a link to it in the show notes. If it is, we have, we have an awesome FAQ page where we describe it. So you can okay. put that there and cool. you can find yeah. out everything Definitely. We're we're not one of those companies that, don't just tell you exactly what we have. Like I hate those companies. You like check out this product, and then you watch the demo, and it's some animated like story about a guy who has a problem or something. Like so, you can just go on there and actually see what the product does. So yeah, it's super cool. Yeah, it's okay. for live ops management and optimization. Okay, and then diving into the conversation here, I thought we could first open with this notion of investing in employees, like. How much do you invest when you have this risk of potentially having them leave or getting poached by other companies? And I did speak to one game, gaming CEO during GDC. I won't mention who he is just because I haven't asked him for permission, I, although I doubt he'd mind saying. But you know, one of the things he mentioned is that to some degree, his company, and he's been operating a very successful you know, set of games, but uh, like he felt like his company was turning almost into like a farming league for you know, the Zynga's, EA's and other companies of the world. And, you know, I mean, it, it's not like he was angry about it or anything, but he's kind of disappointed. And so, you know, this notion about investing in employees, I think when you talk to different game company CEOs or just management teams or managers, there's different kind of philosophies there. And I thought I could kind of kick it off with like my own perspective on this. And it'd be great to hear yours, Brett. But for me, I, I think that, this notion of investing in people kind of, for me, boils down to just thinking more 
fundamentally or foundationally about what a company actually is. And I think that will help give context in terms of the value of an employee. And for me, this kind of goes back to Ray Dalio and principles. And I know we've spoken about Ray Dalio in his book a number of times on this podcast, but in principles, Ray Dalio suggests that companies, when you but you, when you think about it at a very fundamental foundational level, when you boil it all down, it's really just two things. The first is culture and the second is people. And so if you think about it in that context, therefore, retaining people then would become critically important for a company. And then training and improving the people, in, in my opinion, would be also very critically important. So I think that there is kind of like a specific orientation that people have or, or companies or management teams have in terms of focus when it comes to companies. And the way that I, I kind of describe it is like, there's usually like a set of people that think of companies in terms of, or they don't think of companies in terms of like the organization and the product. And more often you'll see like at a lot of companies, the core focus is really centered around the product all this sophistication, all this incredibly sophisticated math analysis, hand-wringing, and you know, different types of scenario analysis and planning on the product. But then when it comes to the company itself, to the employees, to the organization, there's less focus on the people and the organization. And so, you know, for me, my great hope would be that, you know, we could invest heavily in people, have them learn, have them improve as they are employed with us. Now, ultimately we need to run a business. So like, let, you know, so kind of like the traditional thinking of, okay, you invest all this money in employee and then some other company comes and picks them off. I mean, certain, that that's in the back of my mind, but I just don't think there's any other way you can do it if you are thinking about your company as foundationally being comprised of, you know, again, your culture and your people. And so with that in mind, I think that the focus then has to shift towards investing in your people, training them, improving them, but then trying to figure out as part of like this discussion we're having today right now, then how do you retain them? How do you create an organization that people are going to want to continue to work at despite potentially other offers and other things that may come at them from other companies externally. What do you think, Brett? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting problem and I'm certainly very difficult one when you're competing in the mobile gaming market with so many competitive companies and so many big companies with a lot of resources. I look at employees like I look at any other component of a company and I think that you can or workers, I'm going to call them workers because we have contractors as well. Uh, like you would look at a, a tool, right? They're a tool for the company to make a profit and make money and survive. And if you think about a tool, there's three things that a company wants to do. They want to make that worker be able to create that greatest value for the company, right? And value being sort of revenue generation minus cost, right? So it could be that the employee is super super expensive, but potentially they make a ton of value, right? Or the employee could be inexpensive and make a moderate amount of value, right? And there's different different options there. 
The second is to avoid undesirable departures to reduce costs, right? So if you have a, a, a factory um, machine, right, which is, I mean, sort of like an employee for the tech work world, you don't want that machine to break down, right? Or you don't want the machine to leave somehow or walk out the door. Um, so that's the second. The third thing is you want to be able to replace that that worker as easily and as cheaply as you can as a company. And it's sort of the unfortunate thing of being a leader, but you have to think this way, is that if that if that worker decides to walk out the door, even with the best retention policies or the best everything, this is going to happen. You as a company want to be able to replace that person's productivity within within a second, immediately, right? So right. those are kind of the three things um, that I think about for employees. Um, more tactically speaking, I think for all three of those, if you think about it, creating the most value from them, I think one thing that we stress is create processes for, for training, right? right? So that that allows us to, if that employee leaves, to train that next replacement uh, worker. Um, whereas I think a lot of companies invest in the worker, you know, they have one-on-ones and they have specific um, evaluations for that, that, that individual and all that stuff to get that person to be better. Well, if that person decides to leave, all of that work that you've invested in that person walks out the door too. Whereas if you have training programs, instructional manuals, and documents that basically help that person get stronger, then if that person leaves, you still have that system to make the next person stronger, right? Okay. The second is to avoid undesirable departures. We're going to talk about that more in detail later. But I think that companies overinvest in monetary solutions and underinvest in the core experience. You know, just like right. a good game design, it's like the core experience of a game is what 80% of why players play the game. And so you want to make sure that's amazing. And I think mon monetary incentives is is important, but it's not the core experience, right? And so I think that's the thing that we'll talk about a ton. And then the third is be able to easily replace. And this is another area of huge opportunity. It's something that we've invested in a lot is to invest in your hiring and onboarding process and try to make those as seamless as, and, and quick and inexpensive as possible. Because if you can replace somebody, right? And then that person, that employee comes up to you and says, either I'm leaving or I want to be paid 5X, right? I got an offer from Amazon. I want to be paid 5X. If in your mind you think I can replace you in three days, that conversation is going to be a lot different than, oh my gosh, it's going to take me five months to find and replace a person. Right. Yeah. And again, it's like this. The, the, so investing in that process really allows you to mitigate any sort of negativity around unexpected departures or departures in general. Yeah, there's a lot to you, you raise a lot of topics there that are interesting, Brett, a lot to unpack. But maybe a couple of points that I, I wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper into was this notion about the value of the worker. Right. Like ultimately, we're running a business. And a person has a value. And I think part of the tricky part of, a very tricky part in terms of when it comes to like, whether it's compensation or whatever, is assessing value. I, and I do think that one of the great innovations that Google had from an HR and hiring and comp perspective was realizing that for a certain role that people actually aren't kind of on this linear path of value, right? That a great PM 
might be worth multiples of a mediocre PM. And cer- certainly in engineering, I've seen engineers who are, you know, 10x of a mediocre engineer. And so then how do you assess that value? Or I would say even the, the even trickier thing is like on a team where it's like, okay, Bob left the company. Now all of a sudden nothing works. But what, why? What was Bob doing? Well, he was having these conversations with people. He was like smoothing over things. Like there's these things that just weren't captured in a, you know, in, in a doc or that you can naturally see, but in the background, he was making solutions. He was like solving shit. He was doing shit. And that and, and so like, how do you actually assess the value of some of these people? It's I, I think it's a very, very difficult problem. And then to then be able to assign, well, you're worth X and you're worth Y is super tricky, right? So I think that's one thing I, I wanted to touch upon. And then the second thing, and, and maybe I'll just talk about one other thing that I thought was like really important that you raised was this notion of building systems and processes. And so, and, you know, not to throw too many frameworks at our audience, but, you know, kind of like just kind of thinking through some of the things that you talked about, I I would, I would really encourage um, our audience or folks in a management or managerial capacity to really be thinking about exactly that one systems and processes for you know development, just like you said, but also you know systematizing workflow documentation so that you can make people more fungible, and then in terms of training people, like you know whether it's we've talked about a skills development matrix before, which is something that I do. I know Zynga has some variation of something like that as well, but like investing in something like that. And then finally would be around incentives, right? And I I think this is something that we can talk about more, but then how do you think about when you are investing so much in these people, what are the incentives or the incentive systems? We've spoken about Charlie Munger and some some of the quotes from him, but then how do you incentivize longer-term commitment to then stay at a company so that you do get that value if you're doing a lot of early investment, for example. Yeah, the, right. thing, the, the yeah the thing that came that I want to add that that came up when you were saying that is this weird concept of reducing the value or extracting the value of a worker uh, when they're at the company, and this is a weird concept that I just kind of thought of, and it's going to come off sounding, <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Um, but <laughs> when, when liquid and grit goes public, dude, we're going to have to delete some of these videos, but basically when you hire someone who's really valuable, right? So value being that they, the, the, in themselves, like you said, what that that's great for the company. Cause you've got this very valuable asset, but it's also highly risky. And so over time, as that person works at your company, you want to be taking that value that they create and actually like basically bringing it over into the company IP and assets. Because so if you have some like, let's say amazing developer, right? Let's say a a lead developer and he's, she's designing all these different aspects of it. You, you don't, you sort of want to be able to have that person start documenting, teaching, explaining, systemizing their methodology for creating these awesome systems. And so that, yeah, by the time it's a year or two in, if that person decides to leave, 
all that value is instilled in that person, right? It's been basically embedded into the company. And so that if that person leaves, and that's probably the third point is being able to replace the workers easily to reduce risk. But it's sort of like an additional point that you want to kind of extract that value. So your dependency on that individual person gets reduced. Right. And speaking to like uh, that concept, I mean, when I was at FunPlus, we did have this, what, what I've now have termed the leads-based model, which meant, which basically was that we kind of significantly overpaid for certain leads. We would bring them over, have them train a team that may not have as, had as much experience in certain functional roles, and then do the training, you know, basically develop a lot of the, the process that were best in class. And then from there, you're able to more have a lot of value from being able to dramatically speed up like the learnings of the entire team, for example. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead, but my one comment on that is I do think that companies think about their people in uh, basically one dimensional framing, right? They'll yeah. have, they'll be like, we just hire the best employees, right? Or the best people. That's, that's what we do. Right. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, how does that scale, you know, and, and everybody's saying that, whereas I yeah. think a better way of thinking about it is more of, and I think I maybe mentioned this more of like the military, right, where you have yeah. the, the Navy SEALs, like you're talking about, that, that's that lead based model, right, like they have freedom, they have training, they have capabilities, they you give them more autonomy, they can go, they can make bigger investments. And then you have, and I'm not trying to pick on different <laughs> groups of the military, but they definitely have different characteristics. Then you have like the Marine Corps that's meant right. to come in and clean up the mess that the Navy SEALs created in a new area, right? And they're more of these um, highly operationalized, highly standardized sort of uh, operations. So you get people in there that aren't the greatest talent. You just want them to basically execute something right. right and it's sort of like this model of different type of people um in different positions yeah and that may, maybe it's going slightly off topic but i would say you're making a good point that maybe we can dive into again in the future about hiring towards a system right it's like you know you and i are college football fans but you know if you've got a spread offense <laughs> there's certain types of people that make sense and there's certain type of people that don't in terms of the type of athletes that you would recruit against a specific type of offense or defense or whatever. But maybe what we could do now is talk about then uh, the uh, second point around how do you actually then retain employees? Is it just a wage escalation war? And that's something that was, again, talked about a lot during GDC. It, It seems like this is a pretty acute issue right now in the games industry. So Brett, why don't you kick this part off? What do you think? How do you retain employees, if not just by paying them a shit ton of money? Yeah. Well, I touched on this before. I I can remember actually my first uh, my first management meeting at a big company, and we get in the meeting and we're talking about employee happiness and things like that. And I remember the topic of conversation was focused on happy hours and ski trips and jackets, and I was like. (laughs) I was like, who cares about that crap, right? Like, what is the core experience of working every day, right? That's that. That's that's Friday from five to seven, and that's like seventy five percent of the people showing up. That's the ski trip once a quarter. What I think is the most, the biggest driver of retention is the core experience, just like we talked about with the game dynamics. So it's 
creating a, 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 an environment where they have autonomy, where they're challenged, where they have a sense of mastery, and where they have opportunity to grow. Uh, I think those are kind of the core retention mechanic. If you can, if you can nail those, my belief is that humans want to work, and if you give them the right air, right environment, they will not work for free, but they'll work for a satisfactory amount of money, and they will do it for a very long period of time if you provide those things for them. So that that's that's number one, and I think it's the thing that's not focused on enough. Right. Like what is yeah. the daily experience that they that they have? And I definitely think the one that is probably the biggest area is autonomy. I think a lot of companies don't provide autonomy to people who at their specific role, no matter what it is, are much better, much more informed, much smarter than you think, and aren't pro- allowed to make individual decisions on what's going on with the process and have to check in with the manager. It's like overmanage or systems, you know, that we both kind of can't stand. Um, I think the second is obviously uh, compensation needs to be satisfactory. Right. right. And so I, I don't think that competing on salary is a great way to go. I, I, uh, I, I think it's like launching a sale to drive revenue. It's a, it's a highly costly way to, to achieve something and the value creation is is small right because you're increasing costs to create value that said i do think like we talked about there are those people i i do believe that are 3x as good as everyone else so if you're paying 10 20 percent more than competitors for someone that you know is a 3x or 5xer that is a small amount of cost in fact we hire a lot off of upwork where there is a marketplace of pricing and quality right so it's it's visually there so you have four and a half, five star Upwork or a hundred percent rating. That's what they do. You have a hundred percent rating workers, right? And you can actually see the pay scale. And at least in our methodology, we go after the, the, the five, the hundred percent rating in the 80 to 95% price range. We find that like the top 95 to hundred percent range people are never as good as they think like these are the people that just go around thinking they're the best of the best at everything they do but really aren't uh, a little bit too overconfident but like the 85 to 95 percentile cost that's what we go right to and we're not right. too concerned about their cost because they are generally the three xers although recently i've been proven otherwise with a couple um and then the the last component of retention i find is really optionality to benefits. So I don't think that there's a one size fits all for benefits. Everyone has their preferences. Everyone wants some different things. And I think you can get creative with the optionality here. For example, we obviously have 100% remote. You can work whenever you want. Um, we're 100% asynchronous work environment. So you, we have some of my leads work at one to five in the morning this lady has the weirdest working hours, but that's what she likes to do. That's fine by me. If you want to work from one to five in the morning, your work right. is great. I don't care. Right. And that's something that I can provide. And we, we took her from Nike, right? Like she didn't want to work in Nike because it's nine to five. She likes working one to five in the morning. That's an extremely cheap thing that I can offer somebody that they get a lot of value in. So I think things that are extremely cheap, another great one that I think people, I never understand why companies care, titles. I mean, if someone wants a title, to give them out like candy as a company, they cost you nothing. 
lead you want to be director you want to be senior director i don't care you could be c co-ceo if you want if you're that good right like doesn't matter to me it doesn't cost me anything as a company but to that person it's highly valuable right it strokes their ego makes them excited you know potentially they can leave and get a really good salary but like i think that's a i think that's a kind of a small risk if you're hitting the other stuff so i think the benefits and offering benefits that are cheap for the company and highly valuable for the worker is where you should really focus your attention there. Okay. Yeah. And I would agree with, I, I mean, although we have a, I have a different philosophy in terms of title, but I totally agree in terms of like, one, when you think about how you retain people, certainly there seems to be a, a high focus on compensation. And I would say that that's primarily what most companies, what most people focus on to your point on the core work, I, I, I basically just call it work environment, but the core work experience, the benefits, the coffee, <laughs> like some people really care about the coffee and, and things like that. But just to yeah. kind of add, add perfect on to example. Other... Uh-huh. That's a perfect example of stuff that like is so underutilized as a company, right? right. Like, or like you want to give like a $400 a month coffee stipend to your remote workers saying so you have the best coffee in the world. Like, like, what does that cost you? You know, I mean, it's just not that much, but for them, they think it's the coolest thing ever. Right. right. Yeah. And then just adding on some other, I think, factors that play into employee retention, I would say that a big one for us is just learning that there are some folks who will stick around with us because they feel like they're learning and improving their self value. So I, I can imagine them kind of running their own calculus, right? Like, like, let's say if their value is $100 and they know they can take another job right now and make $300, or if they, if they stay at the company, continue to learn and have a successful title under their belt, then their value may be $2,000, you know what I'm saying? So I, I do think like the learning and the potential for, you know, potentially having a product on your resume, which is very, very valuable, is also the, another reason for, for people to retain at a company. The other is the other factor is other people. And so I think many people are aware that there are studies that show friendships at the workplace dramatically increase retention. Like the more people that where that you have that are friends, it helps you retain. So I think that helps. I don't we don't do anything in particular to uh, to foster friendships or things like that, but we do just generally try to find good people, like people who have high character and who aren't like evil. So hopefully that helps in in that regard. Um, I think another reason for staying at a company would just be the culture mission. Basically, you know, working at a place that aligns with your own personal beliefs or against a mission that employees really believe in, I would say that Tesla is probably a good example. If you believe in that mission, if you want to like change the world, I mean, you know, working for any of the Elon companies is is probably a good way of doing that. And then maybe finally, it's just, you know, actions in treatment, right? Like I I do know of some companies where, and just even in my experience, like you've done something, you've treated someone in a kind way and even some small things people remember. And so, and then they'll, 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 they'll look, think back and be like, oh yeah, I remember that time when this thing happened and the company stood by me or helped me out or whatever. And so I, I do think like some of the, the way in which you treat your employees can come back and reflect 
back on you know whether they decide to stay at a company or not. Now, will that will that help you against like a seven x increase in comp? <laughs> Probably, maybe not, but it certainly helps in close battles. And and for us, like at Lila, we don't really worry about any other Indian company. Like we've done, we have almost no. I mean, we're not worried at all. <laughs> but I will say against the, you know, the UK or the Swedish or the fin- Finnish company that that throws seven X and offers to move their whole family out and stuff like that. That's you know, then then we then we generally are like, ah, well, <laughs> uh, good for you. Yeah. But um, and maybe the last point on retention is I do think that there's too much reactiveness, right? So. I do think it's it serves a company better to really at least like every six months think about you know where your employees are and then being more proactive versus like oh you know Sally just got an offer they offered her a ton of money oh actually she's really valuable okay let's come in and try to fix this and so being proactive and then when employees realize by you know external offers and things like that that hey wait a minute i was actually worth a lot more than i thought then i think that's something where if you were just being reactive to it and not proactive then it generally winds up costing the company more and i do know of you know just during gdc heard of a lot of crazy stories including in one particular case there's a pretty famous gaming studio gaming company who we all know of where they had to offer this one particular employee 3x is gone <laughs> to keep him. Otherwise, he's going to jump for a startup. But yeah, I mean, these things can be very crazy, especially if you are more reactive than proactive. Any other yeah, thoughts on that, uh, Brett? Or should we move no, on to the no, next? I, I, okay. Yeah, I like. I I, I want to highlight that point. One thing that we do that helps that is you sort of make the level up system public and basically opt in. So what we've seen is you'll have, and I, I think this is pretty standard, pretty classic, but you, you, all, you always think that everyone wants to move up, but we haven't found that. So we've just found that some people are very motivated to level up their career, right? Like they want to get paid more, they want a bigger title, blah, blah, blah. Some people actually just like doing what they like doing and they don't want to change. They'll do the same thing for years. They just want to like, and and what we found is we sort of written out the process of leveling yourself up. And then those people somewhat, uh, not only do they self identify, but they'll be the ones who are like, Hey, I would like to level myself up. And to your point, we don't say, well, you have to be here for a year. Yeah. We, we just leveled some up, someone up who's not been here very long at all because she was a, showing herself as a star and she's like, I want to try, I want to level up. I read that thing that you said you can level up, like, like throw me in and, and test me out. And we tested her out and she was great. And so we leveled her up. And so I think that you can be proactive, but it's sometimes hard to almost see it. And if you just make it public, like here's the system to level up, those people who are really gunning for it are going to be the ones that go, I want to enter this system. And you don't have to guarantee that they're going to level up, but you basically, then then it's obvious, okay, these are the five people. And some people won't say anything, though. That's the other thing. So you're right. You kind of have to be like, you're awesome. We're leveling you up. You know what I mean? You have to do a little bit, because I have to do that too. Particularly, at, I mean, 
then this has been proven with uh, female workers, right? Like they're much less likely to ask for raises. For example, we had someone ask for a raise and he was a man and I, he was at the same level as one of the women who, who hasn't asked for a raise. So I gave him a raise and then in response to his request, and then I gave the, the woman a raise in response to nothing <laughs> because, <laughs> because, you know, she, that's you know, for, you know, for whatever reason, you know, women are unlikely to, to ask for it. So you just, you kind of like get that both systems right Um, yeah and and maybe like to this point but also tying back to like why we don't give away just titles is because for us the title is pretty closely associated with our level up system so we say for this title for this role for this title these are all of the expectations as part of uh, the skills development matrix and so for us that would be one of the reasons why we don't do that but i you know uh, on, on your point about you know trying to level up people ahead of time or proactively, I, I completely agree. That's that's a good approach. Yeah, it, this is an example of some of the creativity that I think that you can do that people don't. Is we level up people, and w- we benefit from a lot of contractors. But I don't think this is any different from a salaried employee. So what we do is they say, well, we want to level up. We give them a level up task, and if they prove that they can do that. What they'll be doing, what they they do is they bill at a like a senior level for those tasks and a you know base level for the other tasks and their salary goes up, but doesn't go up fully, and it's nice for me because the cost doesn't go up massively like one day right it goes up like fifty percent of their salaries now, act fifty percent more or whatever it is, and um, and it's great for them too and it's sort of a nice transition and it. Yeah, it works really well. I just I think there's more things that you can do creatively with all this that people kind of stick with. It's senior title, and once senior title hits, we're going to increase pay to you know. But it's like okay, there's there's variations in between that that you can do that are good for the employee, and they're good for. It's like I always joke that there should be different levels for dating, right? It's like not dating dating, engaged, married. Like those are three massive steps. Like I always wanted to have like the leveling up my girlfriend, you know, it's like, Hey honey, I just leveled you up to tier three. Um, I'm thinking tier five is engagement. So you're, you're moving forward. This is great, you know, progression for us. Right. Um, I bought you this bracelet, you know what I mean? Like it's a sign of our, of our relationship status going to tier three. I think tier four is moving in. Right. And tier five is engagement. Right. And tier six and seven is is marriage. But what, what about uh, so, relationships that are up and down? <laughs> Do you think, hey, sorry, honey, yeah, we're, 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 we're yeah. back down to tier two now. We just yeah, we just got demoted. I think that you keep in your head. <laughs> I think the second you go down to tier two, that's when you walk. Um, but yeah, see how that goes. I wouldn't, you well, know. Oh, there, Netflix, just... Netflix, at least they profess to to do that right that every year they do a market evaluation and they may actually take your salary down i would be surprised if they do that a lot or if what they profess that they do is as prevalent as they suggest but maybe i don't i could be wrong maybe they do that pretty religiously I gotta imagine they do that for people that they're not worried about leaving because i gotta because they're gonna save them a small amount of money, but have a huge risk of that person getting pissed off and walking. Right. Yeah. So I got to imagine it's a way to 
basically have the person quit. Have the person quit. Like you're now market value, right? Like you're yeah. nothing better than the market. <laughs> yeah, we just and they're like, I've seen 50%, that before. But feel yeah. free to stick around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, here's a red, you know, here's the red stapler. We're moving you down to the basement, right? It's like. <laughs> It's like the office space, right? We're not firing you, but your office is now in the basement. You have no windows and um, you don't have any assignments. And you're now, your base pay is, is 20% less, right? Yeah, I, I got to imagine that's the mechanic. All right. And then moving yeah. on to the next topic, which is really around. So then what should the attitude of employers be? regarding the loss of employees for newer opportunities. And again, feel free to kick it off, Brett. I mean, obviously you want to know if that's a, a legitimate reason. I mean, people leave for all different types of reasons, but for the, for the sake of the conversation, let's say they go to a different company, right? And it's a regrettable departure. Um, this is a difficult one. I mean, I think that you... You can't you can't compete in every way, but um, again, I think it I think it goes back to to the value. I mean, if you're seeing value walk out the door, like that's something you definitely want to address, right? And if and if that person's a three Xer and you're and you lost them to a twenty percent increase in pay, like that's a big deal, you know. And that's that's something that I think I would I would address right away and be like, Hey, if you get, I would put it in my SOPs for the company. Like if you get an, an offer and this is something I don't think companies do enough of, right? Because I know people have different stances on whether they do or not, but I would make it like known if you get an offer from a different company, we want the opportunity to match it. And so come and present it to us. Right. And I think that companies don't make that policy clear. So the, the, the worker de like decides to leave and then it's too late and then it's really awkward. Right. And then they have to like, then, then you have to, then you have to offer more because now the employees like committed to the other company. And, and so, um, yeah, I would, I would try to patch up any of those. Right. And find out, okay, well, what's this and what's that? Um, I do think again, that people overemphasize salary. So I think the way that you can have someone get an offer from another company and not have to raise the salary is to offer them things that are unique to your company and that aren't. And and we just talked about a bunch of those, but yeah. remote work, we do that. It's a great example of something very inexpensive for a company to offer. Asynchronous work, autonomous work. Um, we hire anybody in you know anywhere around the world. So it's like, okay, I can move. People, we have, my lead writer has moved from Portland to New York to Spain, back to Portland. Like that's a huge value to a lot of well, another one of them just decided to rent an Airbnb in New York City and live there for two months. Like that's a huge value for a lot of people. That is very little cost to the company, right? Like that's where you want to be like looking for these benefits that that you can provide people um, in addition to matching anything they get. Right. And that and certainly an advantage for for your company. Like we, we are mainly on site, so we, we can't do things like that. But I would say that from my perspective in terms of the what the attitude or the thinking behind employees leaving should be, and I've kind of seen the dark side of it, right? Which is like I've seen at certain companies people are threatened. They're threatened that that they're gonna be sued. 
they um, are completely cut off from the company. They are, you know, um, people will yell and scream at them. And I just think that that's the complete opposite of what it should be, right? Which Was is that like, when they leave, you mean? Like when they're yeah. leaving, they get yelled and screamed at? So you, oh, got it. So like, they're like leaving and they're like, you asshole, can't believe you're leaving. We're going to sue you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and it, it, it's such the wrong approach, right? And, and, you know, you and I are college football fans, right? And so like, or football fan, and I'm a college football fan mainly, but like, you know, when you look at the best teams out there, like Alabama, right? Nick Saban, and like, he has a program where, for example, you know, it's known, like if you're an assistant coach at Alabama, you become a head coach somewhere else. So that process of bringing people in, working with them, having them level up and then go somewhere else is kind of part of the system. And, you know, you talked about systems and processes. And so, and we're a little bit different too, because like part of the the actual very reason I started Lila was to create something that I call an opportunity platform, meaning we are trying to build a platform and organization that helps people who are searching or who want to become the best, a place where they can potentially try to become the best. But we also realize that there will be natural attrition for people to go on and do better things. But that's part of our mission is to provide those kinds of opportunities. And by the way, you know, when I, when we were first starting the podcast, I mentioned about some of these opportunities of guys making many multiples of their salary and having their families moved out to different countries like the UK. That's actually happened. And so what, what, I, what, what, I, what we do then is we, we want to say, okay, instead of like, like being angry about it, that's part of our mission. That's what we want. So instead, what we're doing is we're saying, hey, before you leave, let's Let's record a video about it. We want to we want to put that on our website, right? Hey, this guy left. You know, he has a life changing yeah. opportunity now. Like when we hired him, okay, I, I don't want to say too many. Well, look, we we realized he had a lot of potential, but it wasn't like these companies were beating down his door. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> but now they are. Yeah. So, I so I think for us, like we want to become the Alabama of the video games industry. And, you know, I don't mind so much of being viewed as a farm league or whatever, you know, but, you know, and, you know, you know, the Patriots in, in similar ways, they get guys on the cheap, build value, and then, you know, and then they go off and do other things. So that's kind of the way that we want to view people leaving the organization is hopefully it's a situation in which they get um, a life-changing opportunity and they're they're able to go and do something you know that that's really great for them. And beyond that, I think people also don't realize or undervalue the relationships. You have people that go off, go to other companies, become huge at those companies because you know a, a lot of the folks I know now are leading you know teams and 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 so then like by having a good relationship, your network. In the future, you're, you're building like these networks and connections so that, you know, they may be able to refer people because they've had, they had a good experience with you. They're like, well, working at Leela changed my life. And so now I'm going to refer some other people who, who might be able to, you know, join Leela and become, you know, good, good employees there as well. So that's kind of the way that, that we think about it. And hopefully 
I, I do hope more companies think about it in that context rather than fuck you, you you're you're dead to me. You know, it's just like Jesus, what the fuck? It's, it's a job, man. You know, but yeah. Yeah, I that's never a good idea because also people boomerang, right? I mean, yes. there's lots of examples of people coming back. Yeah, um, yeah, and so I mean, I don't want to burn bridges, right? Right, right. Yeah, if one person yeah. leaves, they go another company, learn and have a different work experience, and hopefully they become better and come back. That'd be great. Yeah, or they and other people ask them, "How was your experience at Lila?" Right. And it's like, you know, the guy swore at me when I left. I mean, that's <laughs> just a reflection of not investing in the third bullet that I mentioned, which is you want to make sure that if someone leaves your company, you're not going to be swearing at them because it hurts so badly, right? Because you're swearing is a representation of the value that's walking out the door, right? Yeah. And so you didn't do a good job of going, "Yeah, this person's great. They're super important to us." Okay, well, we need to create redundancies. We need to stand, have them standardize everything they do. We need to figure out why it is they're so great and blah, 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 so that we can make sure that we're not going to be swearing at them because you're not right. swearing at them. You're swearing at yourself, right? Like that's what you're really doing. But, um, right. And it's a good point you're making, Brett, in that I do think right now, and I'm glad we're having this conversation, but it was it's clear to me that most companies are not thinking about these things or investing in them, right? And so they're not creating systems and processes to make, you know, to, to make their, to make people a little bit more fungible and um, thinking about incentive systems and thinking about all these things. And I, I do think that's something that is way too underinvested in. And in the current context of the market today, everything I've been hearing at GDC, like companies really need to spend more time thinking and investing in, in initiatives to help all of these things. Yeah. And this is where my mind went. I mean, and this is only going to be specific for gaming companies that probably are self-funded or smaller, mm -hmm. but here's an alternative. Every negative is a positive. If your company, let's say, let's say I owned a small gaming company and I wasn't VC backed. And I say that because I think VC backed have a shorter time horizon generally, if I was my, if I ran my own gaming company and I was having a lot of guys getting poached, right? Particularly if they were young. So if they joined and they were there for like two years, don't fight it. Just create a um, a recruiting process, right? And and partner with a a third party recruiting firm and go, hey, we're gonna train kids here for two years and then we want to offload them on to other companies and we want to get paid the 20 percent of their salary back so we want to make i mean because you talk about the salaries you were talking about two hundred thousand dollars for a, a college grad right now you take college grads you train them for two years and they're going to get salaries out the door so they're going to get probably let's say a three hundred thousand dollar salary so you're going to get 20 to let's say you, you give you take 20 percent of their 30 percent cut so now you're going to get $40,000, $60,000 for that person who walked out the door after two years. So you just got $60,000 to go invest in your program to find the next person and train that person. And then all of a sudden, you basically have like a recruiting company. You eventually hire your own internal recruiters, which are really cheap because you only pay them on commission. They're like nothing. Okay. And now you're making like, you got a whole system. Now you're making... Um, half a million dollars in cash a year on this recruiting process, like 
that's not bad. And now you don't need to go raise money because you basically break even with a 10 person team or I mean, whatever team you have with the revenue you're making from your game and this external like recruiting process. Boom. You're good to go. That's I guarantee 90% of people listening are going to be like, that's a ridiculous idea, Brett. But Henry Ford, like I, I don't think companies do this enough. Like Henry Ford used to sell the wood chips that they would like, they were basically, I don't know why they were having wood chips. Like they were making wood chips for some reason. Like it was like basically something that was just like a byproduct of their system. And then they just started selling the wood chips. Right? Like yeah. they just started making money from wood chips or a car company, but they're like, this is a byproduct of what we're our system and we're going to sell it. You know what I mean? And it's like, um, we've sort of done that here too. And again, I think it's more for companies that are trying to just break or, or self-funded or smaller, but. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk about wage escalation <laughs> and matching versus letting an employee go. And I, mentioned that that anecdote of the the guy who who they had to pay 3x but for you what how would you think about it how would you react to employee employee who's getting offered let's say significantly more do you match do you let go what's your thought process Brett yeah I'm definitely going to take from Bill Belichick here I mean if you think about uh NFL coach it's it's basically a public view on this system, right? This like trading free agency system. And I err on the side of what Belichick does, which is in general, you want to find talent in a unique way, right? Like you want to have a system that's unique to you. And that's what Belichick does. He finds talent out of like Wichita State and North Carolina, just like random colleges all around, right? They'll find people like JC Jackson, who didn't even go to college or whatever. He went to junior college and dropped out or whatever. And he's now a number one corner in the NFL, right? So you want to create the system that somehow finds this talent. Once that talent is now knows that they're talent and the market thinks that, Malcolm Butler is a perfect example. Malcolm Butler came from a no-name college. He was a free agent signing into the Patriots. He ended up intercepting the ball on the one-yard line to win the Super Bowl for the Patriots, right? He has a great year. Then Tennessee comes in, wants to pay him a ton of money. Patriots say, fine, go. He makes a ton of money in in, uh, in Tennessee's organization. He's okay, right? He's not as good as that value. And guess what the Patriots just did? They just re-signed him for a smaller contract than he got for the last three years in Tennessee. Okay? So the Patriots are have this unique system of getting a lot of value out of the player. And I think that just depends, though. It's like wherever you think you can get value, that's what you should do. If someone's getting offered 3x and they're worth 10x, like you should pay it. But you just got to kind of look at the system everywhere where you uniquely as a company can create value. I do think with your current employee, your current employees, like you have the most information on them. So that decision should be relatively um, accurate, right? Because that other company is really taking a huge guess on them and likely they're, they're overestimating the value of that person, right? Like, and, and if you, cause if you're, if you haven't raised their salary and they're getting three X out of the market and you think they're worth three X, then, then that goes back to like, you need to be leveling up people, during that period to get them closer to what they really are in the market, right? So you need a system. But generally, if they're getting a 3x offer, I would say nine times out of 10, I'm letting that person go. 
like they're that that's because I should have been raising their salary. They're not likely worth worth three x. That yeah, that's very unlikely. And if they are, then I I I'm getting pretty greedy as a business owner. <laughs> I'm extracting a lot of value from my employees and not paying them a lot based on their value. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think it's an important point that you raise, which is to, I'm, I mean, ultimately it is a business, right? And so I would say to the point earlier, I, I do agree that it's very difficult to assess value, even for things like, you know, even for certain fields that are a little bit more straightforward, there can be discrepancies in terms of assessing value for things like engineering and things like that. Certainly for PMs, I think it's much more difficult because it's it's more soft and there's a lot of different complex tasks that, that are there. But I would say that for me, I think that you ultimately have to be ready to let somebody go. And we've had situations where other companies came in, offered crazy salaries, and our perspective is like, hey, look, you know, here's what it makes sense for us to offer you. It's not as high as the other companies, but I hope you also realize the value that you would get from staying at Lila. And by and large, and until that, you know, until that UK offer comes in, that's like dramatically higher. We, we have, we have done a pretty good job of retaining folks for the, you know, let, let's say the, you know, uh, for the, you know, in the, in the two digit, increase but then when you get to like the the three or four you know when, when you get to like the like you know two well not two even more like the over 5x then it's just like well what are you gonna do <laughs> uh so so i would say there's that and then i i also think that it's important for folks to understand that the economics isn't the same for us as for potentially other companies and what i mean by that is that there are other game studios who may be, well, one, they may have a, a sucky function, right? Like maybe their their PM team or the product team sucks, or they may just be building out a new team, in which case they might look at a company like ours and say, oh, okay, you know, maybe I'll try and pick off one of their product guys or their game design guys or one in a specific function. And they're able to, as I mentioned, in terms of the lead space model, offer dramatically more to hire that person because they, for them, the value is also in learning our processes, learning how we do things. And so they can offer dramatically more for the one person, but they're not going to pay that for the entire team. You know what I'm saying? And so for us, for our economics to work, we just can't be sitting there matching every crazy person or crazy company out there who's trying to pick off one of our guys for, for that reason. I think if you can't judge value, probably a better, more accurate way is to to estimate the cost of replacement. And that's something we focused on a lot more than the value someone creates. Because if the cost of replacement is extremely low, then yeah. it doesn't really matter how valuable they are, right? And so we've sort of invested in that component a lot more, right? So if someone says, I'm worth 3X, it's like, okay, that might be true but we can replace you in five days with somebody who's just as good as you and is willing to, or I'm getting a three X offer. Right. And we're like, well, we can replace you with someone who's going to take your salary in five days. Right. So 
like we don't even know if you're that valuable we're going to let you go because we're going to replace it so i think that's probably a more accurate way to think about it is the cost of replacing is it less than the cost of increasing their salary and to your point brett the cost of replacement is lower if you are building for anti-fragility meaning you're purposely building redundancy into your company so maybe as a last topic of discussion for today, maybe we could talk about that. So how do you think about building an anti-fragile company? How do you think about paying these costs for potentially redundancy? But then you then know, well, if I lose one of my guys, then we're going to be kind of okay. And then we have time to then hire somebody else, train them up, and then be redundant again. But then the other thing too, is like if you have redundancy, but you only have so much work, that could also potentially impact your culture. Like, it, well, I don't know about you know, we're not we're not a work life balance company, but like, if we want a harder work culture and there's not much work, then you know that impacts the culture as well. So, how do you think about that? I think a well, I think a lot of human capital, you know, whatever you want to call this, problems are solved by investing in your hiring and onboarding process because. Basically, if you can replace everybody, let's just get extreme. So it's obvious to think about if you can replace everybody in a day with someone else, how much tolerance do you have for them if they tell you they want to get paid 3x? How much tolerance do you have for them if they are kind of an asshole? How much tolerance do you have for them if they create a lot of drama, right? Very little because you can replace that person with someone else in a week, right? And and I think that a lot of companies get have to deal with a lot of these problems because they haven't invested in that because they're constantly thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to be so hard to find. It's going to be so hard to replace this person. So we got to deal with all of this crap. So I, I think in terms of human capital problems, like that's how I think about it is you just want to really invest in this ability to replace them. You know, in terms of, how do I think about having an anti-fragile company? One is I constantly think about reducing risks. Um, that's that's one component of it. I think that risk is sort of over-romanticized as an entrepreneurial thing that we almost take. I generally, I take the opposite approach. I think that it's good to be constantly thinking about how you reduce risk. From a more financial standpoint, I think profit margin, revenue, and cash are kind of the three huge components that allow you to handle any the made the most the biggest risk right like let's say tomorrow there's no gaming ecosystem right it's now illegal to be a gaming company how would you prepare for that that like you're probably going to talk about is you raise capital for that right you have cash on hand to now go figure out how you're going to make more money as a different type of company um so that's just like tactically speaking from a PL perspective those three things are really important to think about the other thing that I really think about is you build an organization that can respond to unexpected changes. So it's obviously like generally what everyone does is they build an organization based on what they think is going to happen in the world, right? We all sit around and we watch these predictors on podcasts and whatever tell us what the world's, what's going to happen tomorrow, right? Like metaverse is here, it's going to be here, whatever, right? That is that's you know good if it happens, but if it doesn't happen, 
how quickly does your company basically pivot and go, there is no metaverse, the metaverse is never going to happen. I can go over here, I can go over here. So focusing on the uh, agility of a company is a really good way of making it anti-fragile, right? Um, And then the last is trying to avoid, obviously, like big, big investment risks, right? I mean, I think like um, Bezos talks about this, right? Like, if I'm betting the company on like uh, on a, a project, like it's too late, right? It's like you want to make these these like high high risk bets as much as you can. That the risk relative to the company size and the, the profit and the revenue is is much is very small, right? It's like and and so and that's also just a big component. It's like you kind of want to be taking these bets like pretty early on and often before it's too late, right? Before you're like, dude, we got to pivot 100%, you know? Yeah, and from my perspective, I would also think about how you can actually quantify this risk, right? Because you can, you can basically quantify the risk of, or the cost of redundancy versus, you know, the potential for, potential percentage probability for attrition and then what that would would potentially cost you as well. And for us, like, you know, we recently announced a, a $10 million round for our company. And to be honest with you, some of our investors actually thought we were crazy. They're like, what are you doing? Because we actually had over $2 million out of our, from our seed out of 2.8 still in the bank. But what I thought about was I saw comp just creeping up, going higher and higher and higher also saw that is the minute, the day that anyone joins our company, because we're a little bit higher profile than the typical company, that you know they're getting hit, hit up on LinkedIn, like boom, day one. So for me, like I wanted to be able to sort of weather the storm and not take any macro geopolitical risk. I'd rather take more product risk rather than all this other nonsense risk. So for me, thinking about building a long-term sustainable company and then I do think in, ter- in terms of like anti-fragility, I do think in terms of what's the risk of, you know, somebody in the company, whether they leave or they get hit by a bus or something happens, how do we, how do we mitigate for that? So I, I do think that people should think about the redundancy. And then the only thing I think about from there is if we do have the redundancy, then how, how do we mitigate the impact on our culture? which is for me an open question. Yeah, I highly recommend the book Certain to Win. It outlines basically okay. all of this um, in in a very short, well-written book. Okay. But I am going to reference Bill Belichick on what he does and what I think you should do as a leader. If you watch Bill Belichick and a lot of his NFL films, he's constantly asking his players to react to different situations he's giving them so he'll do he'll have the lineup and he'll be like okay it's um you know fourth down and you're on the one yard line what are they likely to do right or it's two minutes left and there's one timeout and blah blah, blah. What, are, what are they likely to do blah, blah, blah. and he's trying to get his players to think about all the different scenarios and i think as a good leader <laughs> um you need to sit there. I was laughing because I have what I call board meetings. I don't have a board. I own my own company. So I'll be like laying in the bed near here, just like with my earphones on and my, my wife jokes, I'm napping, but it really is me sitting there thinking of all this different scenarios that could happen. Right. Like there's the, 
think the thing that you think is going to happen, right? Your employees are going to stay forever. That's what's going to happen because you're such a great leader. That's bullshit, right? What is the like 50 other thing that's going to happen? All of your employees leave at the same day. Half of your employees leave. Two of them leave. The most important one leave. They want a five month break because they have a kid. Like they have a mental issue. So they, they want to take a break. Like there's so many different scenarios. And I think as a leader, You've got to be going through all of those scenarios in your brain and thinking of how you're going to respond to it, how you're going to mitigate the risk, how you're going, how you're going to continue to create value for the company. And I just think that that's just a very underutilized area of leadership, which is like contingency planning for the unexpected. We right. all love to like put the strategy freaking document together for the known world that we think is going to happen, right? That's like what yeah. most leaders spend 99% of their time. The world is going to go, you know, revenue is going to go up 2% year over year, right? Like, it's, like that's the easy management. The hard management is revenue just dropped 20%, right? Yeah. Or revenue just went up 50%, right? Like the gaming world just grew. Everybody's now in the meta, like whatever, right? Like yeah. what are you going to do for all those lands? Like spend time on that shit, then yeah. the, all the time on the known you know, this is a slightly like, different topic, but I, I will say to your point on the scenario analysis and planning for different contingencies, one company that I did hear about during GDC that got completely taken unawares and has hosed them massively is Playrix. They did not, I mean, who knows, like may, maybe like the Russian-Ukraine war was not predictable, but it clearly had a massive impact on them. So... Like I, you know, I mean, as, as, you know, it is, you know, Russia was amassing troops on the border. Maybe they should have thought about different types of scenarios and ways in which they could have mitigated certain, that situation. But I, I will say they clearly were surprised. And there's, uh, from what I'm hearing, there's, there's a lot of stuff happening over there. I mean, that's one where I'm, I'm bewildered. Like the other one that I don't understand is when, you know, COVID hit and everyone's like, well, we've had, you know, inventory issues because, or we've had production issues because everything's getting built in China. I'm like, dude, you just invested in building the thing that makes you money in a country that is on the other side of the world that has like, like a, a fair amount of stuff going on that you had no idea about. Like you just, you just invested the thing that makes you money in a in a like i don't have a lot of sympathy for the fact that something happened to that to this so far off entity in your company that's so important to your business you know what i mean it's like i don't understand how you would do that and not be thinking of contingency plans like it's a perfect example of it right it's like you just saved like let's say four percent of your cost structure and just inherited a ton of risk and i think that's it's it's oversimplifying decisions in business. I call it like Excel model decisioning making. You know, it's like you can't rely 100% on the Excel model, right? Like, well, we'll just outsource it to China and therefore we'll, you know, we'll save 5%. That's it. Do it. You know, I'm not saying don't do it, right? Because yeah. you're still going to save 5%. But 2% of that is invested in the contingency plan, that if China decides to do something, you have an alternative, right? And I'm I'm just picking on like China here, but it's just representation of companies yeah. making Excel spreadsheet decision making without contingency plans. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, yeah. So it sounds I mean, like 
anti-fragility is a future topic we should also hit. <laughs> so and if, for the audience, if anyone out there has a unique perspective on anti-fragility, hit me up. We'll, we'll, we'll add you to, yeah. to that pod when we, when we do it. Uh, I mean, I, I do that think one it's I can go on all day. <laughs> I mean, dude, that one I can go on all day. And I think I'm unique. Huh? I'm probably most qualified for that because <laughs> dude, my whole family relies on my business. Right. Okay. Like, no, if, like you have $10 million in the bank. Like you just went and raised it. Like I'm not, I'm saying that's, that's great. But like your salary isn't pre predicated on sure. every single client that comes in. Right. So the importance of anti-fragility for me is extremely high. Right. Like I have, I could probably go raise money or something like that. If like push comes to shove, but like if at that point I was raising money, I would get, I would get bent over because they knew I like don't have much, you know, going for me. So maybe I should do that now. Hmm, that's an interesting point. Anyways, we won't get into details here, but like, <laughs> it, it, it's like, you know, if you're a, if you're a sole proprietor and your whole, you know, your whole family's like income is based off of that, like anti-fragility and you have to think differently, right? right? Like if you're a VC backed model, like they want 10 X returns, 10 X returns for me is less valuable. Like it's, it's less valuable for me to be making 10 X as it is for me not to make zero, like, you know, 50% less, right? Where a VC backed company, we make 50% less. Like you just throw the, stop the company and go start the next one. Right. All right. So we, we definitely have to do this as another topic. We will do this for the audience. Let us know. Are you an expert or do you have interesting thoughts on anti-fragility? Come join us. Uh, we can maybe talk about, I don't know if you want to, do the book report next month or anti-fragility next month, but we'll, we'll hit one of those. And I think that's it. Was there any, any other things you want to, any closing comments on employee retention or should we wrap here? I, I just, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity here and I think leaders should be spending a lot more time on this than just the standard HR like yeah. playbook. You know, you right. constantly hear companies like Netflix and, and others having a valve, having un uniquely thought about human capital and having created a lot of value from it. And yeah. I, I think it's, yeah, it shouldn't be just the HR department thinking about this. Right. I completely agree with you. So for managers, management teams out there, this is an underinvested and under thought about topic, employee retention. And think about specifically, as, as I mentioned earlier, in terms of one, the systems and processes for development and to try and make people more fungible to the people training. How do you do it? How are ways you can, you can largely try to automate some of the training processes in your company. And then third, at least my, my recommendation is to think about then the incentives and the ways in which you can try and keep people in, in the company for a longer period of time. So with that, Thank you all for joining up to this point and we will catch you next time. Catch y'all later. Bye.